I think the fact that I, I found a way to continue to volunteer uh, with the Red Cross has helped me, and I'm sure it's helping other volunteers because it helps you overcome this feeling of, of helplessness that there's nothing that you can do. You're listening to an American Red Cross in Greater New York podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Michael DeVolpierre, Communications Officer for the American Red Cross in Greater New York. I hope you are all doing as well as possible and staying safe wherever you may be. COVID-19 has turned our world upside down. Empty streets, shuttered storefronts, face masks, and constant hand-washing are only a few signs of our new normal. But one aspect of life here in Greater New York has not changed. Home fires and other local disasters continue to disrupt lives every single day. Losing your home and all your belongings would be traumatic enough at any time, but imagine being confronted with such loss and uncertainty in the middle of a global pandemic. That's what makes the work of our Red Cross team members who come to the aid of these individuals so critical. As this crisis has evolved, the Red Cross has adapted the way we respond to these local disasters with new safety measures, including remote casework and registration, social distancing in the field, and the use of face masks. But we are still helping. To put things in perspective, in the past 30 days, from early March through April 7th, Red Cross teams in Greater New York have helped nearly 1,200 residents following more than 170 emergencies. I recently talked to longtime Red Cross volunteer Phil Kogan. Phil works as a dispatcher who helps coordinate our disaster response work behind the scenes in our Emergency Communication Center, or ECC. The ECC normally operates out of our Hell's Kitchen headquarters, but because of COVID-19, all of this work is now done remotely. We discussed how the Red Cross currently responds to these local emergencies that are still occurring every day, and we also discussed some of the types of calls he's receiving from the general public. Hey, Phil. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? Uh, I think we're holding up just about like everyone else, uh, trying to cope with the situation. And in the case of Red Cross volunteers like myself, trying to figure out how we can help the best uh, as the Red Cross continues its mission. So where are you right now? Well, I'm in my apartment in the uh, Chelsea Gramercy Park section of Manhattan. The streets are quite different than they are normally in Manhattan. You can go blocks sometimes without seeing another person, especially in the evening. Uh, during the day, it's not quite as deserted, but still very different from the way New York City normally is. It's very surreal. How long have you been a volunteer? Why did you join initially? I have been a volunteer since 2014, and I, I joined after I retired from the federal government. I spent 25 years with the Federal Emergency Management Agency, also have a background as a reserve police officer in Virginia. And so emergencies and helping the public are kind of in my blood. I've been a disaster responder for basically the entire time that I've been with the Red Cross. So, you know, about six years. Um, I'm a disaster action team supervisor, so I re respond in the field to local emergencies. The reason I decided, I had a personal reason for moving to the ECC, and that was I was scheduled for surgery late in 2019 and knew that I wouldn't be able to respond in the field for a period of weeks or maybe a month or so. And so I decided to start training with the Emergency Communications Center so that if I couldn't go in the field, I would still be able to contribute to the Red Cross mission. Can you just explain to us what is the ECC and where is the ECC when there's not a global pandemic going on? 
Well, the Emergency Communications Center is uh, a central location for receiving calls from the public and from fire departments and other governmental entities, not only in, in the greater New York City area, but the entire state of New Jersey and a large portion of the rest of New York State. And the function it performs is handling calls from the public and governmental entities relating to emergencies, uh, disaster response, and, and assistance that's available for people who have been affected by emergencies. The Emergency Communications Center coordinates the response really from the beginning of first notification or awareness of an emergency all the way through the recovery of individual families that have been affected by emergencies. It is the central coordinating element between the responders and those who are seeking assistance and the governmental entities that are involved in emergency response. How many people are, are working in that center? Is it open 24-7? Give us a little picture on the staffing front. The Emergency Communications Center never sleeps. It operates 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There are anywhere from uh, one to three, four or five people on duty at a time. And as you might imagine, if there are multiple incidents going on, then we try and staff up to add additional people to, to cover the incidents that are occurring. What are some of the things from the moment you hear about the fire till coordinating with our responders out in the field? Can you kind of walk us through some of the different functions and some of the different tasks that you guys are working through? The people in the Emergency Coordination Center have a number of different sources for learning about emergencies. Um, once we are aware of an emergency, we will attempt to verify the nature of the incident and the details about that incident, whether it's a fire or a transportation accident, and determine whether Red Cross assistance is something that should be provided and if it's required. And if we determine that a Red Cross response is appropriate, then we marshal the resources and dispatch teams to respond to that emergency, to meet with people affected by the emergency and determine whether assistance can be provided to them, and if so, what forms of assistance. We accept the request from the teams to provide resources like hotel rooms. We also monitor the situation to determine if uh, after an initial response to an emergency, it's necessary to send additional Red Cross resources if the magnitude of the emergency has increased since the teams arrived on scene. We're now in this coronavirus reality. The ECC has shifted entirely remotely. When did that occur? And I guess, what does that look like? In this post-coronavirus period, because we've had to decentralize our operations, not just the Emergency Communications Center, but almost all of our operations are decentralized now, um, we've actually moved the physical phones, the digital phones that were in the Emergency Communications Center. Because of the technology the Red Cross uses, we've been able to move those phones to the homes of the individual dispatchers and connected through the internet, those phones ring in the homes with the same sound and the same capabilities as those capabilities that existed before the phones were physically moved. So uh, because of that technology, we've really been able to do something that probably we wouldn't have been able to do a year or two ago. So the phones ring just as they did in the emergency communications center. And as one dispatcher in their home picks up a line, if the phone rings again, it rings in the remaining dispatcher's homes. What are some of the other changes that have occurred? How has the Red Cross adapted to continue to be able to help people after these incidents that are still occurring? 
even though we have we at the Red Cross have minimized the exposure between our responders and our uh, the people that we're assisting by doing moving a lot of our work to a remote basis. What hasn't changed, and what I'm very proud of the Red Cross and the people uh, who are providing services, what hasn't changed is the assistance is still getting to people, and it's still getting to people in just as timely a way as it did before we changed our mode of operation. And that's what's really encouraging is I think to the to the public that's receiving assistance from the Red Cross, I hope that they realize that they're not getting any different kind of assistance or a delay in assistance than the period before coronavirus operations uh, required to change. So Phil, what is it that makes our services right now in the middle of the pandemic more important than ever? Well, now there are fewer resources available to the people that we have traditionally helped, and that's due to the the pandemic itself. In the past, we would often recommend to people affected by fires and other local emergencies that rather than staying in an impersonal hotel, they might be more comfortable staying with family or friends. And many people did that. If they had family or friends to go to that could accommodate them, they would prefer to do that many times. But now, because of social distancing due to the pandemic, that option doesn't exist for a lot of people because they're just not comfortable moving in with people who either might be affected by the pandemic or that they might infect due to the pandemic. Has there been a a large volume of um, incidents over this period of time? Well, I think last Friday night we had two, three alarm fires. Uh, We have, as people know, the fires occur fairly often in New York City. And, uh, you know, two, three alarm fires in one night was somewhat unusual. But, yeah, the calls continue. The routine calls that the Red Cross deals with every day are continuing. And then you have all these other calls related to uh, the pandemic that that we're battling. It's keeping things busy and it's keeping the Red Cross and its volunteers and staff busy. Do you have any specific call that sticks with you when you think when you kind of think back at your work so far, the remote ECC? I took a call a few days ago from a gentleman who had been tested positive for the virus and had successfully recovered. He wanted to to donate his plasma to researchers who were seeking uh, ways to see whether donated plasma from people who had successfully recovered from coronavirus would be useful to researchers. We were able to connect him with researchers uh, Mount Sinai Hospital researchers are looking for plasma from people who have recovered from the virus. So we're glad we're able, able to make up that, that hookup and uh, really appreciative that people are stepping forward to volunteer in that way. Is coronavirus coming up a lot in your calls, the calls that you're receiving? Yes. I had a woman call, wanted to make a very generous donation of medical equipment. She said she had a lot of medical equipment that she wanted to donate to the Red Cross. The woman was gave a very detailed accounting for the equipment that she wanted to provide, and I made a referral. And as she was getting off the phone, she said, oh, by the way, the reason that I have all this equipment is that my husband had coronavirus and he died two days ago. The selflessness of a, of a woman who had just lost her husband and wanted to make sure that the medical equipment that was left would be put to good use, that was very touching. Wow. How has this helped you cope with the um, the situation of being at home and kind of all the uncertainty that's around that? Well, I think the fact that I, I've found a way to continue to volunteer uh, with the Red Cross has helped 
me and I'm sure it's helping other volunteers because it helps you overcome this feeling of, of helplessness that there's nothing that you can do. And what this has demonstrated to me is that even by being at home, I can make a contribution to help others through the Red Cross. And I think this whole decentralization that the Red Cross in New York City has gone through has demonstrated that uh, we can make good use of our time to help others. What glimmer of hope do you see in this? Um, you know, this is a dark time for a lot of people. You having lived through and worked in so many different disasters and now and now doing this incredible work, do you have a message of a message of hope and encouraging light that you're seeing? I see a lot of stories of people who are helping other people, people who are acting as individuals, people who are acting as parts of organizations, either official or ad hoc. And you see that in, in a lot of disasters and a lot of emergencies. Yes, you always hear always hear stories of price gouging and people taking advantage of other people. But uh, what I've seen is what I've seen in other emergencies in my almost 30 years working on emergencies around the United States. And that is there are a lot of good people who will do almost anything they can to help their neighbors. And I think that's continuing. Phil, thank you. I wish you continued health and safety. Uh, my best to your family. And um, again, thanks for talking to us. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for speaking with me. I want to thank Phil for taking the time to talk to me, and I also want to recognize all Red Cross volunteers who continue to help while dealing with their own difficult situations. Thank you all for listening. Let's continue to look out for one another. This episode was produced by Will Wu.